Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. Adam, just to remind all of Broncos country and all of the Colorado sports fans that 2020 does in fact suck. The Broncos lost Von Miller before the season started. Corlin Sutton gets injured. A.J. Boye and Philip Lindsay lost in the first game. Corlin Sutton comes back for week two, then tears up his knee and is now out for the year. Drew Locke, as we talked about on the post-game podcast, it's not as severe as it is, so I guess that's the good news. And then, just to remind everyone that, yes, it is 2020. The Chiefs won the Super Bowl, start the season 2-0. The Raiders start 2-0. And then the Broncos signed Blake Bortles on Tuesday. I mean... If, if you had asked me to describe an apocalyptic start to the Denver Broncos 2020 season, I don't think I could have come up with that description uh, at all. There's, an, I mean, there were some things I think I would have got right in there, like the whole 2-0 start stuff from, uh, from the Chiefs and the Raiders. But beyond that, I, I don't think I could have even gotten that far into it, I, mostly because I just wouldn't have wanted to put it out in the ether. But apparently it doesn't matter because – it's, it's apocalypse now. It's apocalypse 2020, and, and it feels, uh, right? It's like, I think most of Broncos country is just walking around, shaking their heads, saying to themselves, what the hell? Like, what? What the? What? What the hell? This is not what was supposed to happen this year. There was hype. There was optimism. You know who we can blame? Let's blame Colin Coward for saying wonderful things about the Broncos and and Drew Locke. This is his fault. I I don't know where else to go with it. It, It's what the, what the hell? That's just, that's all I have. It's terrible. I mean, you know, injuries are a part of sports. We've talked about this ad nauseum. We're former athletes. We played, we've been around sports our whole lives. Injuries are a part of every league of every game of every sport. But it's who is getting injured. That is just absurd for the Denver Broncos. In my preview at Play Colorado for the week three game between Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Denver Broncos, I literally quoted Chris Farley from the 1998 movie Almost Heroes, which is Chris Farley's last motion picture before he passed away, died. Unfortunately. But the line is Enough! Do you want my head to explode? In the name of all that is good and decent, no more for today. Yeah, that's. Uh, I want no more for 2020. Done. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying the season is over by any means. I mean, it's only week two, and I love the way the Broncos continue to fight, especially in the second half against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we touched on this on the on the post game recap. That was a game that was going to be difficult anyway, even with Drew Locke. But the fact that they were still in it late in the fourth quarter is a testament to that coaching staff. And I know there are a lot of people who are on the fire Vic Fangio wagon or 
Why is Pat Shermer not on the losers list? Really? Did you not see how Jeff Driscoll played in the second half with a backup quarterback? I mean, coaching was the main reason the Broncos were in that game. The fact that the players were still prepared who came in and continued to fight. And I think that's where you can put your hat on going into this game against Tampa Bay is they've shown that they will continue to fight, that they will play hard. Now it's just a matter of, as Vic Fangio said in his comments on Monday, winning those close games. But it's so hard when you don't have your starting quarterback, your your number one edge rusher, your number one cornerback, your number one receiver, your backup running back. And I didn't even touch on Draymond Jones, Demarcus Walker, Devontae Harris. <laughs> oh, and then also these guys as well. That's really what you just said. And it was uh, not not cool, bro. I, you know, the, the thing that I will say is if you were anticipating a Broncos win in Pittsburgh, if that was something that you thought uh, was – I'm not, I'm not going to say possible. Anything's possible, right? Anything is possible. But if that's something you thought was probable – that you went into that game thinking they are definitely going to beat the Steelers, then you're probably just kidding yourself to begin with. So so like you said, this isn't about the loss itself. The loss of the Steelers was, in, in my opinion, it was expected. I mean, I, I've, I have my notes from our, our pregame show. I had, uh, I had it 21-19 Pittsburgh. I had it being a close game against the Steelers. It was a pretty close game against the Steelers. So I'm not wrong about that. But you you put it into perspective there, and you make a really good point. This isn't about wins and losses anymore. This is about how this team is getting through the season. And after two games, to have that many injuries take out that many players, it is it's disheartening, right? It's it's a disheartening feeling, and part of it is the buildup to this. We have spent as as fans of this team since the Super Bowl year of 2015. All of this time watching them, I don't even know that you could call it a rebuild because it's been this refusal to rebuild. And they dip, have dipped below mediocrity at this point. And it is it is not that teams go through a malaise and it should never happen. I mean, this happens, right? Franchises go through problems. Never in my life, and I've been watching the Denver Broncos since the early 80s, Never in my life have I experienced a five-year stretch where the Broncos have been this bad all the time. And I know that the optimistic fan is going to say, well, they're not bad. They're just catching bad breaks and they're just unlucky. That's fine. But this is this is something we've never experienced. We've never lived through this as members of Broncos country. And so it's almost like we don't know what to do with ourselves because I, I mean, I had a buddy say to me on, on Sunday while we were watching the Chiefs game because they had the Chiefs game on on their you know TV, uh, which I didn't really want to watch. And he said, hey, welcome to being the Bears for the next decade. Referencing the fact that the Bears have to face Aaron Rodgers twice a year, and now we get to face Patrick Mahomes twice a year. And for them, as Bears fans, it wasn't just Aaron Rodgers. They also had to deal with Brett Favre for all those years. So... It it I, I didn't like that. I didn't enjoy him being able to say that to me and be somewhat accurate about it because no one's ever been able to do that to us before. No one's ever been able to say, you're screwed for a decade, buddy. Good luck. 
We haven't had to deal with that. And we're already five years into this awfulness. The way I described it to you was foreign. I, I mean, most Broncos country who is in their 30s, mid-30s and up, have never experienced this before. I mean, you have to go back to the 60s and early 70s to see this kind of consistent struggling and losing from this organization. And that that's why it's so foreign. I mean, that, that it, it's going to happen. You're going to go through periods where there's a malaise. And obviously it starts at the top. There's no Pat Bull in there. There's no one to be the owner to ring these guys in and, and, and have control and have power. And it's no coincidence that this has all happened without Pat Bolin. There's no owner there. And then we've touched on Joe Ellis and the whole Pat Bolin trust situation on prior podcasts. This isn't the time to do that. It's just, it, it is so foreign. As I joked on Twitter about the signing of Blake Bortles, it would be humorous if it wasn't so painful. And it's not about the signing of Blake Bortles. I'm indifferent towards the signing of Blake Bortles. They needed depth at, quarter, at quarterback. It's, it's obvious that Brett Rippon is not ready to be a backup quarterback to Jeff Driscoll. And you want to be in a situation that, at this point, you have to prepare and expect that Jeff Driscoll is going to get hurt, especially with how the offensive line has pass-protected the first two weeks. You, so you needed a veteran guy in there. So I, I'm indifferent on the signing of Blake Bortles. It's just the fact that Jeff Essery joked that hopefully this is the end of the car- the quarterback carousel. And if you remember on Monday Night Football, oh, yeah. when they had the carousel, it was a literal carousel of quarterbacks since Peyton Manning retired. Well, as soon as Drew Locke got injured, the carousel continues. And now not only is it Jeff Driscoll, there's another one to add. And if he plays, the carousel just got a little more lopsided. Well, and, and not only it's I don't think it's if he plays. That's that's the point I think that that has to be made here. I, I honestly believe that what's going to happen is Blake Bortles is going to find himself on the field at some point because that is what this season has been all about injuries to key guys. Uh, situations where you end up having to put in a backup uh, or a third string or a fourth string, or, you know, it is something that I think is an inevitability that Blake Bortles finds the field for at least a couple of plays, if not uh, for a game or two. We know that, and, and this is the other thing, we know that Drew Locke has the potential to be back within three to five weeks, right? So that three to five week period, he's going to miss, uh, you know, a half a month to a month or a little more than a month of the season, and that's great, but it still puts you in a hole as a franchise. And that is what is going to be the most frustrating here is as the Broncos try and sort of keep their head above water, they're already drowning, right? Their head is already underwater. There's no reason to talk about keeping your head above water at 0-2, especially with all these injuries. So the Broncos are drowning in 2020, and the season is two weeks old. And I'm not speaking on this as someone who is screaming about the sky falling, I'm looking at it from the perspective of when you end up having to replace all of these players and the mantra of next man up becomes the thing that you hear constantly and and it never goes away, you're not swimming to the top of the water. You're, you're not going to get out of that. 
you're stuck. And now you've got to figure out a way to swim underwater because you're not going to get your head above water. I guess Blake Bortles, having played in Jacksonville, he should know how to swim. There's water down there in Florida. They, they know how to do that. But this is not ideal. This is not a good situation. And, and it's not about drowning because they've already drowned. <laughs> the season is already sunk, if you will. Now it's about how well can you move underwater? Can you turn into a submarine? I, I just don't see it. What a terrible analogy. I think the the positive out of all this is that oh, Drew Locke didn't positive. didn't severely injure his shoulder like we we expected the worst case scenario. So it, there is a bit of positivity in that that he's at least going to be able to get back on the field because at this point that's what this season is all about. It's the development of Drew Locke. Whether or not you can compete for a playoff spot is secondary. And I don't think it's out of the question. I mean, it's only been two weeks. I, I'd like to see what this team looks like now that they've shown that they will continue to fight. I mean, I, I don't think I'm not expecting them to beat Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday. Neither do the sports books. They opened a six and a half point underdogs to Tom Brady and the Patriots. So, or the Buccaneers. Yeah. Brady and slip uh, there. How can you not make the mistake? So, but I think it's all about that. And I, I'm so happy that Drew Locke is not out for the year because that would have been the worst case scenario. So at least he's going to get back on the field. And I, I, I really am curious to see what this team looks like on Sunday. I, I, I want to see if they still have that fight. I want to see if they continue to have that that determination that they had in the second half against the Pittsburgh Steelers and if they can build on that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. In fact, that's a, a great segue to our keys to the game uh, because it's important that we <clears throat> start to look at, well, how what, what is the key to the game here? What, what is the, uh, the possibilities and how can the Broncos steal a win here? Because that's really what's going to happen uh, when you start to talk about what's going on with this team for over the course of the next three to five weeks without Drew Locke in, and then beyond. Can they steal a victory? What are the keys to victory? What are the keys to the game for them to be able to steal a victory? And I, I'll go first just because I think it's pretty obvious, and that's just like they have always done to Tom Brady. That's get to Tom Brady. That's pressure him. So you need pressure from the defensive line, and you have to be able to move Tom Brady off the spot, and you've got to get to him quick because if you don't, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are going to feast on this Broncos secondary because they just are too banged up to really expect them to have that much success against two great wide receivers. Uh, I don't actually know. I know Godwin missed uh, week two because of uh, concussion, if I'm not mistaken. So there, there is, I believe he cleared concussion protocol. So I think hadn't seen that yet. There's potential for him to get back on the field. So that actually makes things worse for the Broncos. So the, the defensive line's got to get to the quarterback. You've got to get Tom Brady off his spot. You've got to make him move. And if you can't do that, you, you might as well pack it in and go home. That's the key to the game to me. So what you're saying is Brady needs to have Chubb all over him. Oh, he needs Chubb in his face for sure. Yeah. And, and Chubb's been uh, a little bit uh, lackadaisical. It's been sort of a softer Chubb uh, this year. And then part of that is his injuries, I know. You know, he's, he's still coming back from a major injury. But even coming back from a major injury, Chubb has got to be a little more powerful and get to the quarterback. And you got to get Chubb in, in Brady's face. 
I feel like and we I, nailed that. I feel like we landed that perfectly. I'd also like to see Jarrell Casey get that interior pressure, that interior pressure that we have been raving about. I mean, when you get one sack on Ben Roethlisberger and it comes from Mike Purcell and three quarterback hits, I mean, that's not a knock on Mike Purcell. I love Mike Purcell. Went to Wyoming. He's a local kid. I think it. He's a, he is a very good player. Yeah, no, I um, like him. But I, I, it would be nice to have Jarrell Casey getting some interior pressure on Tom Brady. Um, that would help out Bradley Chubb and Jeremiah Tachu and Malik Reed enormously. And to me, I think our keys to the game play off of each other. I don't want to repeat myself from the Pittsburgh game, but it's absolutely true. How you steal a game is turnovers. Win the turnover battle. The Broncos were even against the Pittsburgh Steelers. If they get one more turnover, they give themselves one extra possession to potentially win that game. When you win the turnover battle, you limit the damage that Tom Brady and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and that offense can do. You want to give as many possessions to Jeff Driscoll and the Broncos offense as possible. And at the same point, Jeff Driscoll and the offense need to limit their turnovers. So that limits the damage that Tom Brady and the Buccaneers offense can do to your defense. So that's, to me, the key to the game. That's how you steal a game, is turnovers. And I, I, the, the one thing that I'm going to be very interested in is what the Broncos do with Michael Ojemudier. Because he was very good against the Tennessee Titans. He was not good against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I do like the way he responded, though, when he took questions from the media after the game. He knows he needs to be better. Is he going to be better? Because I guarantee you Tom Brady and Bruce Arians have seen what Ben Roethlisberger did to the rookie cornerback from Iowa. What are Vic Fangio, Ed Donatel going to do with Ojemudier now? Yeah, it's a, it's a really uh, important point, and I, I think the other thing that you almost have to you have to mention this: the Denver Broncos were in that game against the Steelers because of those turnovers, and it was really just that safe. If you think about it, it was really just that safety that that sort of took them out of contention. And you could even argue that the fifty-eight yard field goal that Brandon McManus, Brandon McManus missed. That's a you know I don't appreciate all the M's in his name. It makes it difficult to say that he missed a field goal even though he missed the field goal, it, 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 that one would have put them in position to actually kick a field goal to win the game. Again, I'm not going to kill him for a 58-yard field goal. That's a long way to kick a football. But those two plays, those two moments in the game, were huge moments because it took the Broncos out of needing just a field goal and instead having to score a touchdown. So if you want to find a silver lining, and I, I'm going to try here because why not, right? It couldn't have hurt. In their 0-2 start, the Denver Broncos are in both of those games. They are in the Tennessee game. They are in the Pittsburgh game. They have chances to win. They have chances to be 1-1 or 2-0. It's there. It's Against very good teams. Exactly. Against teams that are playoff contenders. Against teams that are supposed to be going to the playoffs when it's all said and done. So if, if that's the case, and if they can get to the quarterback, if they can force some fumbles, if they can, you know, if they can win the turnover battle and get that extra possession or two, you're looking at a situation where the Broncos could steal a game. And that being said, that's going to take us right to our 
players to watch because who is going to make it so that the Broncos can potentially steal a game? So, you know, I'll give you the floor on players to watch if you want to start. Offense, defense, I'll let you pick. I, I'll give it to you. Your choice. Let's start defensively since that was the key to all of this. I, I, I really do think it's Drill Casey. I think if, if they really want to get that consistent pass rush, if they want to take the pressure off of Chubb and Malik Reed and Jeremiah Tachu, there needs to be an interior push. And not, not just Jarrell Casey, anyone who is in the interior part of that defensive line. That would be a huge, huge help to this defense. Yeah, that's a good one. You, you know, the other one that I think would be a good player to watch here, and I think I think I said this last week, I'll say it again, is Justin Simmons. Uh, he stepped up against the Steelers. Justin Simmons had what I would consider to be a down game, a bad game against Tennessee. He did not play well. He seemed in and out at times. Uh, the communication between him and Kareem Jackson was off. And then against the Steelers, it looked like Justin Simmons was the Justin Simmons who's going to earn lots and lots of money as one of the best safeties in the NFL. So goes Justin Simmons. I think so goes this defense. I think Justin Simmons and what he does is going to be sort of a a good barometer of how well this defense is going to play. Not necessarily because of the impact, but because I think he is the leader on that defense that they are turning to with the loss of Von Miller and with the understanding that everybody else is very young and he sort of has taken over that leadership role. So for me, it is Justin Simmons because I think that if he plays like he did against Pittsburgh, the Broncos have a chance. If he plays like he did against Tennessee, they do not. And and that really is going to be what needs to happen for them to win. Uh, on offense, uh, you know what? I'm going to let you take offense first too. I'm going to give you the offense. Look at look at me. I'm just in a, I'm in a giving mood. I, I don't think there is one specific player to watch. I think it's position groups to watch. Offensive line, receiver. To me, those are the two keys to the game. Because if, if Jeff Driscoll has protection, he'll have a shot. And then who steps up as a receiver to take the spot of Cortland Sutton, which is incredibly difficult. I, I was really impressed with the way K.J. Hamler flashed on Sunday in his first NFL game. To, to, to do what he did is impressive. Jerry Judy had another drop. I don't... Was that a drop? Okay, so I think we're talking about the same play. And we didn't talk about this because I had sort of forgotten about it. Was it a drop or was it was it a pass breakup? Because it looked like maybe the maybe the defender got a hand in there or maybe it just distracted him. That looked like a pretty good play by the defender on that play. If we're talking about the same play. I, I not that he you know, I, I understand if the defender didn't touch it, then it's a drop, but it looked like a difficult catch. It was. And I, I think now he needs to make those catches. I I mean, it, he's gotten, he's been, he's had two weeks now to shake off the rust of not being on a football field. Is he going to be one of those practice all stars where he runs great routes and has great training videos, but it, but it doesn't correlate to the NFL? Oh, it, that sounds awful. So I, I, I'm really curious to see who, who steps up now that Cortland Sutton is out. And I think obviously, a key is to target Noah Fant. I mean, get him the ball. He, he good as things a, happen when he gets the ball. As a and, Noah Fant owner in fantasy football, please throw him the ball. Fantastic. Can we get rid of Nick Vanette, please? Why is he on the field? I don't know. 
Can we get Albert Aku Egbunam onto the onto the field now? Is, is he injured? Like, what's going on with that? Like, is it just he's I, just a, a rookie, so we're going to hold I, him out? Let's let let's end the experiment of Jake Butt and Nick Vanett or Nick Vanette or however you say it. Because it doesn't matter. Because it, yeah, I mean, yeah, he needs to go. I agree. I totally agree with that. Uh, player to watch for me on offense. I'm going to go with Melvin Gordon. Uh, Melvin Gordon, the Melvin Gordon contract was a huge issue, not just on Mile High Report, but everywhere in Broncos country. When the Denver Broncos signed Melvin Gordon, there were uh, a lot of people who thought that it was a terrible contract and a terrible signing. And contract-wise, maybe that's correct. I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to get into that stuff because I don't have the time to research cap space and and go through all of the the process of of determining value and yada 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 here's what i do know when you look at the football field and you see him on the field generally speaking he's one of the best players out there he has had a very good start to the season he has been intricate or integral in the in the passing game integral in the running game and with philip Lindsay out because of I, i guess we're calling it a sprained toe and i and i get it the injuries are, are are tough right now. Melvin Gordon becomes that much more important to the success of this offense. Now you could say, well, what about Royce Freeman? You know, quite frankly, as as Melvin Gordon goes, so goes this offense. Just as I said about Justin Simmons, and it's because Melvin Gordon can be the guy who controls the pace of the game. That is another thing that the Broncos are gonna have to do to win. If the Broncos want to win, they have to control the ball. They have to control the pace of the game. They can't get into a shootout, even though I, I, I have said in the past, and I don't think I'm wrong, they don't, they don't win close games right now. They're not a, a, they don't have the ability to win close games. That, that is still true in my opinion. But if they can control the pace of the game, if they can, you know, maybe, maybe they get out and get a, a quick lead. Maybe they're able to, you know, to prevent Tampa Bay on the first drive from doing anything. And then they can kind of control the pace of the game. If, that's a, if that happens, they have a shot. And Melvin Gordon is how they are going to do that. Now, if, if I'm saying this, then I guarantee you that Bruce Arians is, is saying this as well, and Tampa Bay is prepared for it. But it's still got to happen. And so Melvin Gordon, to me, is the player to watch, along with, and I'm going to sort of throw this out there as my, my next one, along with your interior offensive line. Dalton Reisner, Lloyd Cushenberry, and Graham Glasgow. And they have to be better because they definitely struggled against the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, when when they were in Pittsburgh. It just was not pretty. wasn't what we expected from them. I think one thing you can expect is Todd Bowles to blitz a lot. With, with Jeff Driscoll now as the quarterback, I would expect Todd Bowles to bring pressure like crazy. And I'm surprised we haven't seen it yet, but – Shaq Barrett is going to be back on the field in Denver, but not in a Broncos uniform, obviously. I'm wondering when it's going to start where the Broncos should have kept Shaq Barrett. And I always go I back to – you just started it. <laughs> well, I, I go back to how does he get on the – I mean, obviously, you can't predict injuries, right? You can't predict that Bradley Chubb is going to tear his ACL again or that Von Miller is going to have a fluke foot injury. At that point, when they didn't keep Shaq Barrett – he wouldn't have gotten on the field. He wanted to be a starter. That's why he ended up in Tampa Bay. Not that I don't, not that I wish he wouldn't was still in a Broncos uniform because clearly I do. But I can. They're just 
he wanted to be a starter, it wasn't going to happen in Denver. Now, obviously, you can do hindsight as 2020 and say, yeah, but Bradley Chubb and Von Miller are both injured. Well, you can't, as we said at the top of the show, predict injuries. You can expect them, but you can't predict them. Yeah, it uh, it is one of those things where you could not have predicted that, that Shaq Barrett was going to go away and be this good. I think you could have predicted he'd be a starter. He was good. But you're right. That as far as predictions on that go, there was just no way you were going to be able to make that prediction. Speaking of predictions, I know I know that's almost like we're professionals here. We got to get into our bold predictions. Uh, this is going to be um, it's going to be tough because I think bold predictions aren't going to be very much fun this week. Uh, I have one. Uh, I don't like it, but I have one. You want me to go first? Go for it. All right. Uh, I, my bold prediction is that. Uh, Tom Brady and Mike Evans hook up for four touchdowns. I think Mike Evans feasts in this game. I think Mike Evans becomes uh, godlike in this game. Now, I say that also as a fantasy football owner of Mike Evans and in hopes that he does uh, make lots and lots of points. But at the same time, I just feel like the way that this defense has played with all of the injuries and all of the young defensive backs out there i think mike evans is the one who ends up benefiting the most also because chris godwin missed a game uh i think it's gonna it might take him a little while to get back into the game flow i don't think that rob gronkowski is is quite there yet so it's mike evans for me and maybe that's just wishful thinking and actually i do think it's rob gronkowski because bruce arians is going to be sick of having questions of well is rob gronkowski 100 percent? is he back well, what better defense to do that against than the team that can't cover tight ends? Now, this is supposed to be bold predictions, Ian, just so you remember. Bold. Rob Gronkowski is going to have 150 yards receiving okay. and three touchdowns. That's bold. All right, that's bold. And Bruce Arians will then be able to come out and say, any more questions about Gronk? <laughs> You know, it's, I just wanted to make sure that we, you were going bold because predicting a good game for a tight end against the Broncos is like predicting that it might rain when there's a thundercloud over your heads. Of, co- of course it's going to happen. It's just, you know, a matter of when. Uh, I, I, that's a that's pretty big. All, all right, I'll give you that one. That is a that is a bold prediction. All right, do you have a, you have a score for this game? What's disappointing about this is that if you look at the history, and I mentioned this in my preview at playcolorado.com, Tom Brady has a losing record against the Denver Broncos. It's the only team in the NFL he has a losing record against. He's 8-9 and nine all time. He's 4-7 and seven in Denver. And we've touched on this the last time the Broncos played the Patriots. The list of quarterbacks that Tom Brady has beaten in Denver isn't exactly stellar. It's Danny Cannell, Tim Tebow, Trevor Simeon, Brock Osweiler. Yeah, not exactly a uh, murderer's row of quarterback play there. Well, murderer's row if you're thinking about how terrible they are. Yeah. So I I think Tom Brady is going to have a 500 record after this game on Sunday. And as much as I think it's going to be close, I don't think it's going to be. I think think it's going to be 31, 34, 13. Wow. Okay. So 31 or 34. You got to pick one. Come on. Let's go 34. Okay. All right. That's that's actually pretty close to what I wrote down just now. I wrote down uh, something very similar. And, and I do tend to agree with you. Um, it, it just isn't – it's just not there. You know, when you look at this team and you look at what's happening 
all of the injuries, the inexperience with the players, some of the problems with the coaching, which I don't think are as bad as, as they have been made out to be, but they're still there. It, it's hard to look at the Denver Broncos right now and think that they are going to be able to beat a team with the talent level of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have an excellent defense. They have an excellent offense. There's just a ton of talent out on the field. And and at a certain point, talent wins out. And and I just cannot predict a Broncos win. And and the other issue that you run into is that this team can't score points. So, you know, how can you predict a win when you can't even guarantee they're going to score more than 16, 17 points? And I'm not going to guarantee that. Uh, it's going to be 38-16 Tampa Bay, and I'm not happy about it, but that's that's where we are. That's that's the world that we live in now as fans of the Denver Broncos, and it sucks. So let's do this. Let's take a little bit of a breather. Let's everybody calm down a bit. Let's listen to an ad or two, and then when we come back, we'll do our whip around the league. We'll look at the AFC West and see what's going on. All right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and take a look at the league here, take a look at the schedule and see what's going on. Obviously, we have... A real barn burner on Thursday night with the uh, Dolphins at the Jaguars. Uh, are, is anybody going to watch this game? I mean, pe- are, people are going to watch, right? But is anybody really going to watch? No, I'm not going to watch. Okay, just making sure I'm not the only one who's going to ignore that this game is going on because I just don't care. So we can we can also move on. Let's go ahead. And, you know what? Let's start with the AFC West, uh, and then we'll go through the rest of it. AFC West is um, looks like we've got the Raiders at the Patriots. Uh, on the which is the early game, uh, noon game if you're in my time zone, eleven o'clock game in the Mountain time zone. There, uh, that might actually be an interesting game. The Raiders, I hate to say this, the Raiders looked pretty good against the New Orleans Saints. They they might have a chance in that game. I'll go with Bill Belichick, Cam Newton, and the Patriots at home. Yeah, no, me too. I agree. <laughs> and as much as I, we haven't touched on this before. But when you look at two of the most historic moments in NFL history, the immaculate reception and the tuck rule, yes, we hate the fact that the tuck rule is what led to the New England Patriots dynasty, but it's also kind of poetic justice every time that I see it, that it's the Raiders and they lose. Yeah, I'm kind of okay with it when I see it. Like I don't, I don't enjoy it as much like in the long term, but whenever you see it, it isn't, it isn't so bad. It's, <laughs> it doesn't hurt as bad as it could, right? Is, is maybe the best way to say that. I uh, will say before we get into the, what I think is an AFC championship preview game and what should have been last year, not for Tennessee. I think the AFC West goes 0-3 this weekend, not uh, aside from the Broncos. I, I, I'm saying that's an interesting the Raiders call. lose, so, the so- Chiefs lose. Chargers lose. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about the Chargers because that's actually an interesting game to me. The Chargers are playing the Panthers. Panther, Panthers are zero and two. The Chargers are one and one. Justin Herbert looked like he has enough skill to carry that team for as long as uh, as long as he needs to with whatever's going on with Tyrod Taylor. I, I actually don't think that that's what's going to happen. I think the Chargers at home are going to beat the Carolina Panthers, and I think they're gonna they're gonna. I mean, look what they just did with Kansas City. And yes, I know now now the league has film on Justin Herbert, but quite frankly, the league had film on on the Chargers' defense. The defense played pretty darn well. The league knew what the Chargers' offense looked like for the most part. I don't think it changed all that much with Justin Herbert in there. 
I think the Chargers beat the Panthers. The Panthers are no good. And so this is a game the Chargers can win, and I think they will. That's yeah, that I should have said one and two. I think that's on I think that's pretty clear the Chargers are gonna beat the Panthers. I think the Panthers are clearly on the on the tank for Trevor. Yeah, aren't we all? Well, hopefully we're not all, but I you know, who knows? We'll see what happens. But I do think the Raiders and the Chiefs both lose. I think the Ravens are gonna beat the Chiefs. Yeah, I uh, I actually agree with that. The the way that the Chiefs struggled uh, with the Chargers shows that traveling right now in the NFL is is not easy, right? I mean, you're you're showing up the day before. It, it it's it's just a it's a tough way to do things, and it's a Monday night. It's in Baltimore, so I think as, as you do, I I, th- I think Lamar Jackson is able to pull out a win here. I think it's going to be a fun game to watch. I think that is without question the game that is supposed to be, and obviously because it's on Monday night, but the game that will be the most fun to watch throughout the week. So, uh, you know, I am looking forward to that game. There is another game that I'm kind of looking forward to, and it's it's Packers at Saints. Uh, you know, I'll be curious to see, can the, can the Saints bounce back after sort of collapsing under the weight of being in Las Vegas? I don't really know. Uh, and, and losing to the Raiders after being up pretty substantially in that game. To me, the best player in the league right now is Russell Wilson. He is playing out of his mind. I think right now he needs to be the leading candidate for the MVP. Well, he should get, he should get at least one vote, right? Isn't that the story? He has never even received a vote. Yeah, never even received a vote. And I, I think this is a good time to remind everybody that John Elway could have drafted Russell Wilson, but instead took Brock Osweiler. Oh, that was unnecessary. Like I feel like that was unnecessary. I feel like I feel like you found the salt. And you rubbed it in the wound along with some like lemon juice. Like that was, that was, that was pretty rough, but you're not wrong. He could have and should have. I think when you say could have, I think that the, the word is should have because Brock Osweiler wasn't as good a prospect anyway, as, as I recall. That's, that's, I don't want to relive that, but I do like to watch Russell Wilson play football and I would much rather see him do it wearing a Broncos jersey, but he'll, he'll never do it wearing a Broncos jersey. Well, and it's 2020, so why not add more salt? You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos!